0: Hi, Hi, Gavin. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. We're We're glad you're here. We're glad you made it just in time. Please take your coat off. Mm -hmm. Have a seat. Would you like us to fix you a drink? Honestly, let's start drinking. Um, (laughs) It's Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, my bad. Um, We are a film podcast in which we take an actor, director, or film subject and we talk about what we like. What we don't like, we mix up the reviews, guys. Yeah. We watch as much as we can. Oh my God, my eyes! They're I so know. Tired. I truly. Tired eyes. Sometimes the movies just start. Melding together, and I'm like, uh huh, cool. Yes, lots, then- lots of swirls, lots of circuses. Got it. Got yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, style mm. <laughs> choices are made. <laughs> cool. Someone, someone was a goth in high school. <laughs> Never got over. It. Honestly, <laughs> I've been to Hot Topic once or twice. <laughs> And I get it, okay? Yeah, I noticed your wallet chain when you walked in. Yeah, Was yeah. that once or twice this weekend? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I go all the way. What's the closest hot topic in New York, you think, for us? Oh, God. Jersey, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, Jer- to- Jersey, like Rigo Park, Queens. <laughs> oh, <don't know>. God. <laughs> like, <laughs> take me there. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Absolutely. Let's take care of some house cleaning. The last episode we talked about Cary Grant, which I think went over very well. I think it went over very well, too. Lots of people told me they were shocked. Shocked, I tell you, mm. to find out about his origins. So Really? Yeah. Shocked? Yeah. Shocked. People like I didn't know his childhood was so sad. And oh, I was like, yeah. even worse, he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> so sad. So sad <laughs> He had a sad childhood and he's he dead. And he's <laughs> dead. We asked you guys to go on to Twitter and vote for your favorite performance. Um in last place was The Awful Truth at twelve percent. Um My Pick charade came in at nineteen percent. Gavin's pick notorious came in at 24% but overwhelmingly um you guys had other opinions 45% of you said other we had north by northwest holiday suspicion uh arsenic on lace the Philadelphia story Oh, yeah. Uh, April Friday. It was. You think our reviews are mixed. You guys are all over the place. Yeah, yeah. But I love you for it. I love that we find. I feel like this is the first time. Cause I was actually almost in the, in the process of being like, maybe we shouldn't pick other anymore. People vote for it and then they never tell us what they, what they think is their favorite. And this time people were so vocal about what their favorite Cary Grant Cary, film was. because Cary Grant, I mean, he had a, a lot of really great films. A lot of these, you know, g- very good stuff. Um, and I'm just glad no one picked something that we hated. So yes, absolutely. What <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like Penny Um uh, we, uh, Yeah, <laughs> everybody, everybody just picked Penny Serenade. It. It's crazy. Um, one of our listeners, Keith Walker, actually uh, sent me a message about how um, he found an article uh, about how uh, Cary Grant actually did None But the Lonely Heart as a, a sort of a a rebound, uh, because he hated Arsenic old, old Lace so much and didn't think it was funny, wow. um, and so it just goes to show you, like, uh, the larger point is, is how an artist responds to their own work as opposed to how the public perceives it. Um, Absolutely, and like obviously, there's not a lot to back that up. Uh, Mr. Walker even points out that you know Grant always deflected questions, didn't do a ton of mm-hmm. uh, taped interviews, so <clears throat> yeah. you'll never really know how he felt about anything. But, uh, that's, I don't know. I think that's an interesting thing too, because obviously arsenic and old lace is the one that's remembered and really well thought of and, and, you know, none but the lonely heart. Your one star review. Yeah. Um, was, is not, and he got a nomination for it. Yeah. So. I mean, it was very personal to him. Yeah. I mean, but that's what happens though with all art. I think like no, no matter what the artist puts in and, and intends to do, it doesn't matter really, you know, um, once it's out to the public, like it's up to, you know, us as art consumers to form our own opinions and, um, you know, the intent can be different for all sorts of people. And that's why like opinions are are like, whatever, like, you know, like what you like, like what you don't like. If you see something that, you know, is right. And, and, and we've never gone into this show being like, our opinions are concrete. Yeah. You must agree with us. Like, that's the whole reason we do this is to yeah. show. And sometimes, like, you know, you see something and you're not in a good place. And you, and so now you associate like a piece of art that maybe is like brilliant to someone else, but like for you in that time in your headspace, it wasn't good. Other times, you know, you have the best summer ever and you know, you met like the love of your life and you saw a shitty movie together, but still like that movie like means a lot to you. Like that's all good. So. Um, just and that was the summer I became a man Mm. who touched you <laughs> but let's move yeah. ahead um we are dipping our toes back into director world um and um we're talking about Tim Burton Tim Burton spooky ookie spooky ookie kooky. maybe the uh, I don't wanna say the original like um uh, you know weirdo but Certainly like the most high profile Yeah but most high profile Weirdo. Yeah. It's actually on his business card. No. God. <laughs> He's like, Hi, it's me, I'm a Weirdo. <laughs> um Yeah. We're talking about him because so Dumbo is out. I know we're a little bit um late, but yeah, and I mean it's doing so well. It's actually Disney's first uh, animated remake that is not uh, getting the money that all the other ones did. I know so, it's um, but, which is it's such a weird choice, anyways. And we'll get into it later, I'm sure. But I, I genuinely, I, I understand why what attracts Tim Burton to that property. I don't understand what attracts anybody to remaking that property. Yeah, it's also weird. Like Disney, like already has the lion king coming out later aladdin is also coming out this year well i definitely think it's a a show of of a lack of faith anyways that they dumped it to april yeah it's pre-summer season post-oscar season it's certainly not a time of the year in which people think like oh this is gonna be my most successful film was that not when like beating the beast came out though I Beast thought Beauty and the Beast was a summer release. I thought that was, like, in February. Oh, uh, maybe it was. And also, I mean, that movie was garbage anyway, so... True, but it made a shit ton of money. That's also um, Tim Burton-related. When Alice in Wonderland came out, Disney, like, for, for a little while, like, they were releasing kind of these, like, fantastic um, kind of... I don't want to say out of the box, it's Disney, but, like, for Disney, like, right. Left of Center releases in the, the early quadrant of the year... Um, and because of Alice in Wonderland, I think did so well, they put Beauty and the Beast there. That's why Fox originally put Deadpool there when it first came out. Um, all these like kind of weirder movies that they weren't sure would do anything came out at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Tim Burton, I just think, you know, he is for better or for worse at auteur. Um, his films very much have a style unique to their own. I think he, he combines a lot of different mediums. He's an interesting guy once again, for better or for worse. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, um, and I don't know if this is the right place to talk about it, but I was thinking like the only other film director that I could think that like kind of plays in the same lane who we think of as like an auteur is Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. They have a, I, I, I. They're both Think he- Del Toro's films, while much less in number, uh, have a tendency to be more interesting. But if Guillermo del Toro was making films as frequently as Tim Burton, yeah. maybe that wouldn't be the case. I'm also thinking of like Alfonso Cuarón and when he did his right. right. Harry Potter. It right. had this like this very fantastical like. Um, b- so both of them, but mostly Guillermo have this, like, kind of whimsical, fantastical, like, monsters, but, right. like, they're good, and, you know. And I, and I think there's people that do similar things to what Burton does. You know, you look at the early Terry Gilliam films, and there's a lot of, like, uh, primitive sort of animation or stop motion, yeah. um, in them, which is a huge thing for Tim Burton. But I think there's something very specific and unique to the the thought process and and the way that Tim Burton applies his specific artistry to film that is not really copyable. You look at Barry Sonnenfeld's Adams Family movies and a lot I think a lot of people associate those with Tim Burton but it's not quite the same thing. Yeah, cuz it definitely does have like the Adams Family movies specifically have a very like and vibe right. to it, but um, I think like the satire is different. Yes. you know, like Adam Sandler is like clearly going for jokes. Yeah, where um, as a lot of Tim Burton movies aren't really going for jokes, but like it's situationally funny. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm also like it's so interesting thinking about like now that I'm like thinking deeply about like Tim Burton his legacy. You know, he's kind of changed a lot in his career and like the movies he does, but like we would not have like like a studios without. You know a lot of Tim Burton. Oh yeah, stuff. absolutely. Like, I can't imagine um, a, a studio whose like intent is to make beautiful stop motion movies um, without the that success is- of um, you know Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride. I think that's a that's a good response as to why we're doing him. So let's get into our rewind. Let's do it. So little Timothy timothy walter um he was born in burbank california that's another funny thing he's one of those motherfuckers who i'm like is he maybe british where is he from yeah he's fully from burbank yeah it, i i gotta say this he was born in fucking burbank california yeah yeah i mean he, it, i i mean we're gonna get to it in a moment but he played water polo yeah he played water polo was not like a good student yeah um i have family who live it uh, in Glendale, and my uncle was a prop master, and like all the kids, just kind of like fall into doing Hollywood things, like Hollywood adjacent things. So it's like if you're born there, it's not like super hard to like be like, oh, I'm gonna get a job at Paramount or whatever, you know? Right. And then it's like kind of smeagle your way into like stardom <laughs> if you need it or want it. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So Tim Burton, he was uh, his mom was a um owner of a cat themed gift shop. So already, kooky, bookie, spooky, weirdo mom. I do, I do love that. That's like my, one of my favorite facts. like a cat-themed gift shop, of course. <laughs> and then um, his dad, William, was a former minor league baseball player who worked at Parks and Rec for Burbank. Yeah, exactly. Um, Would Leslie know nope. <laughs> that, that was the, he was there? I think,
1: you know, at the specific time that I grew up in sort of suburbia, it, it didn't – I didn't feel um, – I did feel different, and it, it was strange. Just I think, just it was. I found it quite strange. It's just because you like monster movies, that people thought you were weird, you know. Which I felt always felt was a was a was an odd thing because it's like, well, if I liked musicals or westerns, would people think you're weird, you know? And right. so it, just, it didn't seem that nat- unnatural to me. Um, but it's, it was it was quite interesting how quickly you get sort of categorized as a child, you know. And I saw that with other kids, you know. You, you, you're good at this. You're bad at that, and you sort of the kids got kind of got separated into different categories. And so I think I've always been aware of that, and uh, I think that's why I like movies like Frankenstein, where you know you look at the character and he's he's perceived as a monster even though he isn't really. He's just different, and the angry villagers. You know, it was easy to sort of identify that with your neighbors and. You know the sort of mad scientist. I always wanted to be a mad scientist. So, you know, all those kind of things made it easy to identify with yeah. those kind of movies.
0: As a preteen, Tim Burton kind of classically would, you know, like when you think of like all the all the greats. Mm-hmm. You know, they they made like their really shitty, you know, uh, movies when they were young yeah. kids. He made um, crude stop motion animation um, films, and he had he would shoot them on eight millimeter films in his backyard, um, which. Don't it's like Steven Spielberg had like a very similar story, like not like stop motion, but yeah, like he was like yeah. eight millimeter making like same thing with Guillermo, like was like yeah, I'm gonna make little movies at home and like Isn't yeah, that yeah, wild, I, like it's so cliche, but like people fucking did that. You know, I made movies as a kid. No, you did and not. Look at me now. No, you did not. I did. He during this time, like during this time, he read a lot of Doctor Seuss, Roald Dahl, and that would like heavily influence him later. Um We know that he made. At least two films that are Raw Doll based, yeah. right? Um when he after he graduated from high school, he went to the California Institute for the Arts in Valencia, um, to study character animation. Um CalArts is very famous. Who, where, what? <laughs> Cal Arts. Never heard of her. Very, very small. Yeah, very small. unknown. Yeah, exactly. Um, nobody famous. Everyone's just like just plucked from the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who do we know? Like, I mean, everyone at Pixar went to Cal Arts, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that is the yeah. place to go if you want a job. Yeah, it's basically like a factory for for Disney. Yeah, in a way. Yeah
1: at the time they just started that sort of Disney animation program so you know it was an expensive school which I couldn't afford uh, and I think being a new program they were giving away scholarships at the time so I was lucky in a way to to to, to get that and uh, you know I think again because it was a new thing it kind of attracted a different you know group of people that wouldn't ordinarily have that kind of outlet for things so I, I think in, in some cases it was being you know there at the right time
0: so while he was there he made um shorts that got the attention of walt disney's productions animations division um one was called stock of the celery monster and that was one of the main ones that um got him an apprenticeship at the studio and he was an animator storyboard artist graphic designer and art director um and did concept art for the fox and the hound tron and the black cauldron none of that shit ever made it in though nope Um, Disney did not use it. But they were like, cute. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, you're so good. Yeah, you're so good. We'll put them right here in the trash. (laughs) Um, In 1982, Burton made his first short, Vincent, which is a six minute black and white stop motion film based on a poem written by him. Um, and he, it depicts a young boy who fantasizes that he is Vincent Price, who was his hero. One of the things I really appreciate about Tim Burton is that I feel like I grew up on a lot of the same, I mean, obviously there's an age difference, but I grew up on a lot of the same type of movies he did. Uh, he's a huge hammer horror fan, um, a huge like 1960s horror. That's yeah. a lot of the Vincent Price era. I remember seeing Vincent, the short as a very young child on Disney channel. Cause it's six really? minutes. Yeah. And I love that like Disney Channel used to like play such yeah. random weird stuff, and it's i mean I understand why Tim Burton has a career it's special mm-hmm. it's a it's a both beautifully animated but also a love letter, it's a beautiful little piece. Of animation, and I, I don't know. I wish more people did weird little things like that. Can people find Vincent? Yes, on YouTube, I on believe. YouTube. Yeah. I did not watch it, but you obviously did watch it. Yeah, as a child. I mean, I love Vincent Price, and someday we're going to do an episode on Vincent Price, even though the first time I pitched that to Louis, he said, Who? Drag me, call me, beat me when you want to reach me. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Great, love that. Expert level shade. I'm always... I'm here to learn, (laughs) and I'm here to make the reviews. Vincent is nice when his aunt comes to see him, but imagines dipping her in wax for his wax museum. Does this say that Vincent Price provided the narration? Yes. How did Tim Burton know how? Oh, you know... I mean, he's just a small town boy. Yep. working uh-huh. for a small little company known as Disney. mm mm You know, so... He, do you think he, like, went up to people like, Hey, do you guys, like... No, Vincent Price. <laughs> like, where is I he? Hope, I hope so. I hope that's Like, where exactly does he like hang out? Is he in the lunchroom, yeah. or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys have his phone number. Yeah. Stuff at Disney is not going well. Right. But he just kind of, like, does his own thing. He does a live-action production of Hansel and Gretel. Does Japanese-themed adaptation of the um, fairy tale... For Disney Channel, um, it like only aired once um, on Disney Channel on Halloween night, Yep. Um, so nary a soul saw it. It did, though, go on um, public display at the MoMA um, and a, at an art exhibit at LACMA, so... She's out there, but it's very hard to find. Uh, I actually did see it at MoMA. Really? Um, yeah. So I have seen it, uh, cause I went to the art exhibit, which was 2009, 10 yep. years ago at this point, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And I watched the whole thing and it's good. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is very, like, it was one of those things where it's like, Oh, this is clear. Like, this is clearly early days for Tim. Next. He does Frankenweenie, which is a um, a live action short in 1984, um telling the story of a young boy who tries to revive his dog after it's run over by a car. And um, that's another thing that I saw on Wonderful World of Disney as a kid. It's um it's weird. So he also he famously remade Frankenweenie yeah. for a full-length feature yeah, yeah. in two thousand ever whenever. Yeah. Um but Not enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> um after Frankenweenie though. Disney fires him. Yep. <laughs> um, there, they realize, oh, he's not making anything for us. Um, and we don't like any of his stuff really. They know that all the stuff he's doing is just too dark and not, it, it's not, not on brand, but then comes along a little Pee Wee Herman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Paul Rubens saw Vincent and decided he wanted him to direct, um, Pee Wee's big adventure.
1: Well, um, you know, it's a short film and never got released as, as did Vincent and, um, and Disney, they weren't really, didn't really know what to do with me. But luckily, you know, since those films got made, uh, you know, people at Warner Brothers and, and I think Paul Rubens and the producers and, and people at Warner Brothers saw those, uh, and basically, even though they weren't released, it showed them something from me, and 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 therefore, uh, I, I got that job quite, uh, you know, strangely easily, you know based on the on those films so that it was that was great you know it was it was uh, y- you know they they seem to see something right away and
0: do you think like Pee Wee like paul rubin had that much like pull to be able to say like i'm i my Wee's playhouse is s- so popular i can just pick whoever i want you, you know, know i movie? do i do <laughs> like i mean yeah he, he was ubiquitous like yeah, yeah. back in the day um so yeah, the, the movie was made for eight million dollars and it grossed more than 40 million in, in North America alone. So it was a, it was a hit, it made money. Um, and it was at this time, this is the first collaboration, the beginning of a long, fruitful friendship with Senor Danny Elfman. Um, because Tim Burton was a fan of Oingo Boingo. Right. Which is his band. Right. Um, and so we asked him to do the music for the film. And since then, He's done almost every movie yeah, for him. Yeah, there's been very few exceptions. And so this is the beginning of his career. I rewatched watched um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It holds up. It it holds up. It's funny. And it's not... I don't know. Pee-wee made a movie a couple of years ago that really, really tried oh, yeah. to... It, like, it was, it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. Really did. tries to recapture that. And it feels... There's something about the combination of the weirdness of Paul Rubens and the weirdness of Tim Burton that, like, the jokes are... Kind of timeless. Yeah. Like, it's not really offensive. You yeah, know. it's not offensive. And also, it's just like, none of it is played for jokes. It's all played for honesty. Right. It's all played for truth. Um, you don't know, like, you don't, under- they don't try to explain these, like, childlike adults. Yeah. You know, that are in the movie. The gags are funny.
1: What's going on, officer?
0: We're looking for an escaped convict, ma'am.
1: We heard all about it on the radio. Right, honey? Uh, Have you seen this man? Ah! Boy, seen better heads on boils! <laughs> no, I'm sure I'd remember the face. Honey? No. Would you mind stepping out of the car, ma'am? No, not at all, officer. Some sort of problem? No problem at all. I just wanted to take a quick look at that cute little outfit you have on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer! Uh-huh.
0: Um, so after th- this moment is happening, he is directing um, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and for Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater. And so yeah, he does Aladdin for Fairytale Theater. It's great. He does a lot of just like weird episodic things. I mean, th- th- this is like, you know, fully in his zone. You know, he uh, feels comfortable here. It's anthology horror. It's whimsical. This is made for him. After this... His first, like, huge project just kind of comes his way. And that big thing is Beetlejuice. What can we say about Beetlejuice? I don't know. Like, it made, it was, like, really low budget, made a butt-ton of money. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, And it's also at this time, like, Beetlejuice kind of, like, set... And Danny Elfman, honestly, set the, like, the the, the, the tone. Right. You know, because I'd read a lot...
1: After Wee. I'd read a lot of scripts that were very just traditional kind of comedy kind of things. And then I got this script... That made absolutely no sense and was a very strange, And I couldn't believe any studio wanted to do it. So that was intrigued me to begin with. It it was like, so in some ways, and I worked with a lot of people that were like good at improv, like Michael Keaton and some of the other cast members. So it was, it it, it really
0: opened me up to kind of being more spontaneous. He hates this phrase, but it creates Burton-esque. It's got all the, the hallmark style. I'm wearing stripes, so I'm like fondling my shirt right now, but like, it's got all the hallmarks. It's got like the stripes, the weird spirals, yeah. the like kooky animation that occurs at points in it, the, um, weird prosthetics, the, the, nor- and more, most importantly, like the one thing that holds true to almost every Tim Burton film is there is a person perceived as an outcast yep. attempting to fit in with their quote unquote normal surroundings. And oftentimes those normal surroundings are so much weirder yeah. than what you would expect. He's like, he does this thing where the, the normalcy, like the status quo yeah. is like so fucking weird. Right. And like, it has a style of like, it's, it's that, um, Stepford housewife thing. Right. So, um, yeah, he creates, like there's a new genre of being created, but also that whole idea is like, this is. Eighty-eight, that late '80s, '90s vibe of just kind of like, right? I'm kind of weird, and that's kind of cool, right? Exactly. So, like I said, this movie makes a butt ton of money, makes a star out of Michael Keaton, yeah, um, and Winona. Oh, I know. You didn't play charades. Yeah. Ah, good, good. Ah, here we go. Then, ready?
1: Um, two words. Right. Ah. Uh, first word, two syllables. <laughs> I don't know what your signal means. Turn around and look behind you.
0: Hi, how are you? (laughs) Beetle. After that, he was this taking all the meetings. You know, Um, after this, in 1989, he does Batman, which was um, a huge, like, huge movie. Yeah, Um, but it was a big battle for him. I think, uh, Warner Brothers at the time was like, okay, he can make these big movies, um, make a lot of money, but they were not ready for him to just be a fucking weirdo and like doing whatever he wanted. And we mentioned this when we did the Michael Keaton episode, um, you know, when he decided he, he thought, yeah, Michael Keaton, my Beetlejuice is going to be Batman. And Warner Brothers fucking lost their shit. Yeah. Um, and Burton said he, Thought it was ridiculous to cast a bulked up ultra masculine man as Batman, um, because it just wouldn't make sense, you know. It, right. It's a secret identity. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It's not an obvious identity. <laughs> right. Um and you know, the movie finally opens and it's the biggest marketing and merchandising campaign in film history, and you know what? It makes two hundred fifty million dollars in the US and four hundred million worldwide. So shut the fuck up, Warner well, yeah, Brothers. Exactly. Um, it also won an Academy Award for Best Art Direction, which is like his jam. That is his thing. Yeah. He is not one of those directors where it's just like, okay, actors, let's, we're going to do a thing. No, he is like every single thing, the style of Tim Burton, you know, the way it looks. Yeah. Um, he, he has a finger in every pot. Yeah. I mean, genuinely yeah. from, from a design standpoint. Um, can we take a quick moment to note that he claims that his, um, favorite, um, graphic novel was Batman: The Killing Joke, though. Yes, I love what he said about, and I, and I, I believe him one hundred percent. But he said essentially that he never got into comic books; that it might have been a sort of dyslexia thing that he could never follow the story, the story, what panel he was supposed to read when. But he liked the sophistication of the Killing Joke, which is so funny because I think, um, as as time has gone on, people have really sort of reevaluated the Killing Joke and been like, "Oh no, Mama, yeah. this is not that good." Yeah, yeah. Insane. I was like, "Hmm." hmm. <laughs> After Batman he, in 1990, he does Edward Scissorhands, which he co-writes with Caroline Thompson. Um, he brings back Winona, um, and he brings on his little friend named Johnny Depp. Yeah. Who will be seeing so much more. So much more. I cannot believe how much Johnny Depp I watched for this. You know, it's, it's funny too, because I, I feel like there is a, a, a big kindred spirit in terms of Johnny Depp. And I think they both wanted to be like artists, you know? Right. Who were young and doing the thing. Um, so it's, 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 it makes sense. Um, there's a New York Times interview that came out a couple of years ago, um, while he was doing Miss Peregrine and, they asked him about, you know, always working with Johnny. Um, and he said, here was a guy who was perceived as this thing, this tiger beat teen idol, but just meeting him, I could tell without knowing the guy, he wasn't that person. Very simply. He fit the profile of the character. We were in Florida, 90 degree heat, and he couldn't use his hands. And he was wearing a leather outfit and covered head to toe with makeup. I was impressed by his strength and stamina. I remember Jack Nicholson showed me this book about mask acting and how it unleashes something else in a person. I've always been impressed by anybody who was willing to do that because a lot of actors don't want to cover the instrument. Uh Uh, There's always been a shorthand. He's always been able to decipher my ramblings. To me, he's more of a Boris Karloff type actor, a character actor than a leading man. The only thing that changes, and this is something I try not to pay any attention to, is how the outside world perceives him. Oh, you're working with Johnny again. Oh, how come you're not working with him this time? You can't win. I give up. Hmm. Also, his good friend Vincent Price in one of his last um, yeah. films. Yeah. And it's super sad. And I love it. Um, love this movie. Gorgeous. Did not know that it was turned into a, like an opera ballet thing. Um Derek told me that he saw it in San Francisco. And I was like, casual. After that. He comes back to Batman again for Batman Returns, um, which we've talked to at length (laughs) on this podcast. Um, We both think it's brilliant. Our good friend of the pod, Christy, thinks it's brilliant. Favorite movie of all time. Selena. Selena, Selena. (laughs) That's my name,
1: Maximilians. Don't wear it out or I'll make you buy me a new one. Selena. This is Bruce. Wayne. Yeah, we've met. Have we? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I mistook me for somebody else. Sorry.
0: You mean mistook me?
1: I mistook me. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what I said?
0: Studio hates it. Yeah. Can't sell toys based off that movie, which I think is hilarious because he even says um, in that same interview that I was just reading from that um, if you look at his Batman movies now, they look like kids' movies by comparison to how dark superhero 10,000%. movies are. 10,000%. So he just thinks it's really funny that he... So essentially, they're like, no more Burton Batman films. You can produce the next one if you want. Um, he does movies in between, which we're going to talk about in a moment, but he does produce yep. uh, Batman Forever with Joel Schumacher. He ends up leaving the project altogether because he just basically doesn't have any control. Um, yeah, right. right. Um, and I, I mean, it's weird because like, These, like, quote unquote, darker movies compared to, like, you know, the Batmans of now and stuff like that. Um, it's almost like his movies were, like, dark, but, like, with style and, like, with, still with punch, you know? It wasn't, like, just, like, grit rubbed in the dirt, you know? Right. Um, which I just fucking love. They were also bright and colorful and, like, and that's one of the things I love about Batman Returns, especially is uh, I listened to the director's commentary to that years ago, and he was talking about how his concept was what would it be like to shoot a movie inside of an inkwell, as in the the things that hold inks that you dip the quill. Yeah, quilt. yeah. It's just black on black on black yeah. on black, and that movie, but I, shiny. But that's what I was gonna say. That's what makes it so gorgeous is it's got all these different hues in it. It's got all these these light reflective things off the vinyl. It's got yeah. the blues that you sometimes get with dark black. And I don't know it's it's really gorgeous um maybe one of his most famous like what he's if you i think if you ask most people like what he's known for they would they would say nightmare before christmas that is the next thing he does he produces um a nightmare before christmas he can't direct it because he's working on um batman returns um, and it's funny. Uh, another quick sidebar: mm-hmm. if you listen to the soundtrack of Batman Returns, you can definitely hear Elfman's been working on uh, the soundtrack of <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, especially when the clowns are attacking the stores, and you hear a lot of like meh, this meh, is meh, 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 meh <laughs> Yeah, true. Yes. So this is uh, when he makes Ed Wood. Yes, in 1994, um, and this is a much smaller. Can moving into Ed Wood, can we talk briefly about? So we've mentioned many times before. Danny Elfman was his greatest collaborator. Oh, They've had the, right. one that's of the strongest right. yes. bonds. Um, they kissed once. They didn't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were drunk. Um, yeah. yeah. They, uh, we don't know if that's true. We can't <laughs> back that up. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say it. <laughs> but uh, so they're doing. They're putting together the soundtrack for Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton's producing. Danny Elfman really wants it to be this sort of like nursery rhyme esque. They record this voiceover narration with. Uh, Patrick Stewart, you can still hear it on the soundtrack. Um, Tim Burton doesn't want any of it. He's like, no, this is not the movie I want. Um, huge falling out. And, like, obviously, this is the extent to which we know about their falling out. There has to be something maybe a little deeper. Yeah. I don't know, but... Uh, maybe they didn't like the kiss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, the so Tim Burton goes off to do Ed Wood, and Danny Elfman's like, nope, bye, yeah, girl. yeah, sorry, I'm taking my nursery rhymes somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I love the score to Ed Wood, so I'm not saying anything bad about it. But like, I don't know, like, yeah, I I, wish... it's weird because Ed Wood is like a, a major touchstone for right. Tim Burton, and it so it, um, it's it's strange, but also maybe like it helped him push you know the boundaries. Ed Wood. Would maybe be a different movie than it is, you know, without without Howard Shore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Edward is a biopic, yeah, of Edward who is known as the worst director of all time, which is unfair, but whatever. But whatever. Um, Johnny Depp stars uh, again in this movie, and it's kind of you see, it's an homage to kind of horror uh B movies and old Hollywood. Well, yeah. Um, you could, you're seeing, like, the spirit. I mean, you can imagine, um, um uh, Tim Burton and his time working on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Right. Um, and all that knowledge. Um, it's kind of like he has all this knowledge of that world and it's just all being funneled into this kind of big love letter. Um, and you know it's it's a unique film in the fact that when it was being shot at the time, it was being shot in black and white on film, which is a very expensive thing to do. Black and white was black and white film was not the popular film type, you know. And I feel like you you see it more now because you can kind of though I'm a big proponent of shooting for black and white, hit like oversaturating things to make sure you get those shadows and everything. But nowadays, as he a post-production person, exactly, it's so easy to make something black and white. This was not easy. Um, so it was a very expensive process for him to film something this personal in that manner. His girlfriend at the time is in this movie. Yeah, Lisa, Lisa Marie. Marie. Who plays Vampira. Yeah. Um, it was fun. I hadn't watched this movie before, and it was fun watching it. Um, I loved seeing our um, good friend Bella Lugosi being yeah. portrayed in the movie. Um And I mean, so we talked. We we did an episode about the Universal Monsters where we talked about Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi himself is a character in this movie. Um, Him and Ed Wood became friendly um, toward the end of his life, Uh, and that was just like really interesting to learn more about him and how he fucking hated um, Boris Karloff. Which I love Ed Wood. We may talk about it more later. One of the best things about Ed Wood is. It's loosey goosey. Yeah. 75 to 80% of it's all lies, but it's still a successful movie. This is one of the things we've learned on this, doing this show too. You make a biopic about something doesn't have to be true. Yeah. Most of them aren't. Yeah. Um, and this one is a really great movie that is full of lies. (laughs) Lie, you lie, you never look so thin. Um, so it was successful, but it was a commercial failure. It did not make a lot of money. Um, but it was well received by the critics. This was before Batman Forever comes out. Um, he's like, "What the fuck ever? I'm doing my own movie, doing your shit." Um, he, he after this he produces James and Giant Peach, which I remember watching as a kid and loving. <laughs> that movie slaps. The music slaps. Everything in that movie slaps. Um, in 1986, um, his uh, next big release comes out, and it's Mars Attacks. Um, and it's funny. This movie unintentionally comes out. Like months after Independence yeah. Day. So, something like six months, nine oh, yeah. months, somewhere in there. Yeah. So we were like, America was full on, like, fuck yeah, America, blah, blah, blah. Right. outer space. Uh, and this movie comes out and it's like, the aliens are going to fuck you up. Right. Exactly. It's, it's interesting because it's such a, you know, he was, he was a big fan of the trading cards and, and just, so weird. They're so weird. And like, there's no plot to the trading cards. It's just essentially like aliens killing. It's an excuse to watch aliens kill things. And, the plot of this movie is bonkers and it's, it's clearly like his love letter to both this thing he loved as a child and those sort of madcap uh, comedies of it's a mad, 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 mad world and Dr. Strangelove for some reason yeah. as well. Jack Nicholson plays multiple roles in this movie.
1: Why can't we work out our differences? Why can't we work things out? little people.
0: Why can't we all just get along? I forgot to mention Sarah Jessica Parker is in Edward. Yes. Which I did not know. Um, And she's in this. Yeah. And she famously gets her head stitched onto a chihuahua's body. Yeah. She's never looked greater. I mean, hello. Um, also, did we know in Edward she says, do I really have a horse face? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think she would say that line today. Carrie, <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <no> what? <way. laughs> um, so after that, I mean, this is like kind of, maybe you know more about this, but so Superman Lives is yes. around this time also. Um, This is when he was, uh, there was another Superman in the works and there's like a documentary about this movie. I was going to say, there's a documentary about it. If you want more about Superman Lives, I suggest just checking out the documentary or if you're below the age of fourteen watching uh Kevin Smith's an evening with Kevin Smith where he talks about writing the script and how awful of a working relationship he had with Tim Burton. If you're over fourteen, I don't know, I guess don't watch anything by Kevin Smith. True. <laughs> uh so that comes and goes. Um but he spends an entire year on it, which is a really painful experience for him because yeah. there's a lot of things that come out of it. There's costume fittings, there's casting. Nicolas there's, Cage. Yeah Nicolas Cage, there's Hiring and firing of writers. Um, Dan Gilroy is like one of the last people to work on it. Uh, so there, there's, it passes through a lot of people and yeah, it's just frustrating. I think to, to as an artist to put, especially we mentioned before, he puts his finger in every pie. Yeah. So, you know, he's there from production design phase all the way up through. And it, it feels it's shitty to yeah. spend your entire life on something, trying to, to birth something, and then it just dies. And it's funny to think, like, you know, I do not want to see Nicolas Cage as Superman. No. And I don't want to see a Tim Burton Superman movie. But, but, it's, but it's funny because, like, he... He was able to fucking pull out Batman. Right. And so I guess there was a world. It would be interesting to see what Tim Burton would do to yeah. Superman. Except I've read i read the script. Oh my God. Yeah. Are um, you okay? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go direct sleepy hollow now. Yeah. Leave me the fuck alone. Superman. Um, which is so much more of a passion project it looks and feels like a Hammer movie it's the first time he yeah. works with Christopher Lee who famously played Dracula in almost all of the Hammer movies uh that are Dracula movies i mean <laughs> Dracula doesn't just show up in other Hammer movies <laughs> like like hey i'm here uh, hey, guys. yeah um the uh but you know it's the, this is another childhood hero of his it's done in the style of the movies that he grew up in and yeah i don't know it's not uh a crazy success in terms of critic it's not like a critical success but it made tons of money but it made tons of money tons of money um and it's pretty good i liked it i like it a lot too pardon my intrusion i saw that it is no intrusion i come here to read when
1: i'm wakeful to read books which you must hide they were my mother's books my father believes tales of romance caused the brain fever that killed my mother
0: she died two years ago come midwinter the nurse who cared for her during her sickness is now Lady Van Tassel. He, I think Christina Ricci's never been more bored in a movie. I was going to say, he trades in Winona for Christina Ricci. Yeah, which, dyes her hair blonde. <laughs> y- yeah. They're in like, they they definitely drive in the same lane, right? Like as far as like acting yeah. goes. Yeah, yeah, um, Well, they're in Mermaids together, which we watched for sure. Oh Cher. my god, yeah? my <laughs> Love that movie. I feel like this movie kind of starts him on like a different path. Yes. Like this is kind of where they're like, okay blockbusters. Right. Even though Batman was like, and his other movies made money. Oh, yeah. Batman redefined the blockbusters, but I still think Tim, Tim was Burton in- didn't want to make blockbuster. After yeah. Blockbuster. Well, I mean, like, in that movie, he was fighting the studios, right. still had the vision. Um, Sleepy Hollow to me felt like the first step kind of like, okay, like let's just do Hollywood stuff, you know, yeah. like uh, he, and the studios like, and, and I think at that point in his career as well, the studio wasn't interested in fighting him. They're like, oh shit, this works. Yeah. Uh, here's just some money and do your thing. Yeah. Two years later comes plan of the apes. Yeah. Which is his first, you know, I mean, it's a known property. Um, it's a, I don't know what the fuck even to call it. It's a reboot remake. Re- prequel? Yeah. Um, well, he, I mean, he even said that like, it's not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a remake. And it's so, so funny because they, um, that was the first time as a film person I had ever heard, um, reimagining it was mm, Tim Burton's yeah, reimagining yeah, yeah, yeah. playmates. and yeah. it's just his own thing. Like, don't think about it too much. <laughs> um, did you watch that? I didn't watch it. Uh, I saw it. I saw it in the theater, uh, but I, I've not really watched it that much since. I will say, like, and I think we'll talk about it more as we go through. Like, he sometimes is very faithful to a fault to yeah. source material sometimes, and I'm like, I know you got a brain, girl. I know you have ideas, <laughs> right, right? Exactly. Like, you know. Uh, whoever the fuck wrote planet of the apes he's not like looking over you and being like bitch you better not yeah exactly like the same thing ha- like we'll get to charlie talk about it later but like Raw doll wasn't like you better not yeah exactly his family like had a switchblade to his throat like. i know <laughs> <laughs> um in 2003 he directs big fish um which we talked about you right. and, and if you want to t- if you want to talk about being faithful i've read big fish and i think the movie's better oh, um uh, wow. and the the there's a lot of the thi- there's a lot more Tim Burton in the movie than there is in the book, you know, and that's that's a perfect example of like you know he does become faithful to a fault unless he feels it personally, yeah, and Big Fish comes at a time in his life where I believe his father had just passed away as well, mm-hmm. so it becomes a really personal thing for him, and I feel like you can you can see that when you watch Big Fish that it's made by. An individual with a heart yeah. that has a stake in it instead of just a, a cold, you know, adaptation of this novel. This is also, um, what's worth mentioning, this is the second time he works with Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. They first work together on Planet Place. of the Apes. Where they had, Helena Bonham Carter has many scenes with his then-girlfriend, Lisa Marie, who's in all of his movies all along, she's in Mars... After Edward, she's in Mars Attack, she's in... Oh my um, gosh, she is in Mars Attack. Yeah, she's the oh, alien she's lady. She's so good! Yeah, she's she's very... I mean, she's the model. That's a book. look. Yeah. Um. She's in Sleepy Hollow, she's like about Crane's mom. So she's in all of his movies, and then... Here comes another kooky book named Hellebottom yeah. Carter. And he's like, hey, your hair is like mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, let's touch hair. Exactly. Um, and do so you <laughs> condition? Me neither. <laughs> so they start dating. Lisa Marie sadly is told, "Yeah, bye, girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boots down house, bye." Yeah. Um, but she does one of my favorite things. It's petty. I love her for it. Mm-hmm. She has an auction. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she has an auction for Tim Burton's stuff <laughs> that he has left. That he left. Tim Burton did not like this. What? What did he? She get rid of like his Tamagotchis? Yeah, like, that- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I raised those. <laughs> My babies! <laughs> 2005, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Um, another adaptation of a beloved property. Um, Johnny Depp, again, stars... I don't like this movie, you know? Yeah. It's uh, weird. It's... it's, it's and not but, a good like, but, yeah, I was going to say, but not in a good way. It's not good. Like, yeah. it's not fun. Right. Um, uh, the less said, the better. He's also working on Corpse Bride at the same time as um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, which Denny Elfman and... Tim Burton and Johnny Depp are also involved in. So, the three of them are juggling these two movies. Um, I can't even imagine, you know? Like, it sounds like a fucking nightmare. I can't multitask to save my life. Uh, They both come out in 2005. And this is, I mean, God, poor Corpse Bride, you know? This is Tim Burton's first... um, He's directing this um, stop-motion movie. And it just gets, like, none of the love that... (laughs) But it's so much a Tim Burton film. It's so about two worlds clashing. Literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, But it is, it is real. It's just, yeah, it's just so, I don't know. I saw it when it came out and was like, this does not have an impact on me. But good for him for sticking it out and finally making a full length stop motion animated feature. Yeah, he was like, I can do one. Right. Take that Henry Selleck. Um, In 2007, he does um, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Um, his first musical. Yes. Um, which I get, I get, like, what do you think about this collaboration? This, like, you know, it, it feels cr- like Sweeney Todd is the Sondheim, uh, like, the emo Sondheim, if yeah. you will. Um, I love Sweeney Todd. I've seen it live a couple different times. Um, this is visually fun. And I don't hate the way it looks, and I don't think anybody gives a bad acting performance yes, in it. Yes, yes, Yeah, yeah. I smell um, what The Rock is cooking. Um, But no one has the range. She doesn't have the range. <laughs> and they had to reorchestrate everything. Pretty women,
1: fascinating, sipping coffee Sing
0: pretty women are a pretty women part of that rehearse, reorchestration process was to cut down the number of songs the, the show uh, doesn't have a ton of dialogue it's not necessarily an operetta but it, it has a lot more music than you right. think it does and um, they dwindled that down turned a lot of it into score but I think you know if you're going to make a musical that's that complex that's that about that much about the singing uh, and cast people and another frustrating thing about that article I was reading from is he was talking about like he's like when I did Sweeney Todd you know Casting Helena was a really hard decision because I knew people are going to be like, he's just casting his girlfriend, which is not true because everybody had to come in and audition. There was a lot of auditioning for all of the roles uh, for people to get them. And it's like, um, you cast Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter. Yes, people are going to say you're fucking casting your friends. Like, sorry. And then also like everyone else in that movie is, I mean, beyond Alan Rickman also. Yeah, yeah. Which kills me because all of the judges' songs get cut because Alan yeah, Rickman can't cannot sing. sing. Um but R. I P Alan Rickman, by the way. So but like that. Joanna, the kid, like they're all like good singers. Right. Um and so and, and like nobodies. Yeah. Exactly. Joanna, a, a nobody who just happens to look like Christina Ricci in Sleepy Hollow slash True. Winona Ryder and Edwards' hands. Yes, yes. Uh you've heard of the Hitchcock blonde. Now get ready for the uh-huh. Tim Burton corpse. I don't know. True, the dead girl. <laughs> the dead- <laughs> Johnny Up gets a fucking Oscar nomination. Crazy. Crazy! Yeah. Alice in Wonderland comes out in 2010. We talked about that at the top. Right. I don't, and I don't want to spend any time on Alice in Wonderland because I really fucking hate that movie. But I will say this. I remember when it was coming out, everybody was like, uh, you know, oh my God, Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland. And then he did this interview where he's like, uh, I've never read it. I don't know why people think I love Alice in Wonderland. And it's like, stop being that girl. And this is truly when like the cool hot topicification yeah. of like Disney properties is like happening you know this is i mean clearly clearly this is around the time when disney's like live action everything and you know we see that coming to fruition today with dumbo and all that but i mean fully it now it almost seems like hollywood's only hiring him to do these like edgy takes on old things make them pg but like gritty Yeah. yeah um after that dark shadows comes out i heard it's not great uh, it's all in the theater. Ugh. Oh my god. Are yeah. you fully okay? <laughs> Keep going. Keep um about me. He produces one of my favorite vampire movies, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> Ugh, get out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a fun. I hate the guy that wrote that. And that's part mm. of the... Part of my, like... Part of the modern Burton that really gets me is uh is it Seth Graham Smith? Is that yeah. the- Seth Graham Smith writes Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was a book I tried reading and was like, this is trash. Um and then all of a sudden he right he like he's writing dark shadows and i was like i love dark shadows and then I'm did he write dark you know, shadows yeah and it's a huge disaster and then they were like oh he's also going to write the beetlejuice sequel which is apparently never happening anyways but it's just like i hate this guy stop working with him tim is he like the nicholas sparks of this genre <laughs> i guess and is the genre just bad <laughs> like is that <laughs> what it is hot take. it's getting hot in here guys um uh, frank and weenie it uh, comes out in 2012. Yeah. I remember seeing it in the theater. It's cute enough. Yeah. It's kind of a needless remake. Yep. The original's great. 2014 Big Eyes comes out, which feels like a big, like, um, awards swing. Yeah. If you will. Um, a kind of like, kind of like, Sweeney Todd. The success yeah. of this movie is just that like, the story is so incredible. Well, that's, I totally get why Tim Burton would be attracted to this property. Obviously it is a story worth telling and yep. it's an interesting story. Um, I don't think, Burton himself is, is the right vessel to communicate that story. Absolutely. And and therefore it doesn't come to fruition. But obviously like a person whose art is important to them. And then the way that that art is seen, consumed and decided by the public that it belongs to someone else other than the actual artist is clearly something that's very personal to Tim Burton. I think he sees the way that, as I mentioned before, he can't stand the phrase Burton-esque. I think that's the way he sees the way Fans consume his movies yeah. Is that they take it Create ownership of it And then he's left alone they ha- There's this alter ego This Burton that they've Concocted in their mind yep. And they're like this belongs to him And the real Tim Burton the human Tim Burton's like I made this Yeah, This is mine What are you doing Your husband's quite a talent Do you paint too
1: I don't
0: know. Yeah, I definitely think like this movie maybe would have benefited from a different director. Yeah. Um, you can almost like tell that like, he was trying to like, s- a lot of his style is missing in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but there are some parts where Amy Adams' character, she starts seeing people with the big eyes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, here he is. He's yeah. trying to do something here, but. Also, just, just a, a quick sidebar. I don't have a problem with Christoph Waltz. Don't cast Christoph Waltz as an American. Cause, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. He's like, hello, these are my paintings. I am from San Francisco. I was born here. Yeah. Do you like my paintings? I'm an American. That was like when he was like really hot though, yeah, right? Like yeah. he had just come off of Inglorious yeah, Bastards. he in Academy Awards. So like, yeah. I think it's so interesting. So interesting. So uh, interesting. Um He does Miss Peregrine's House for Peculiar Children. Yes. Home for pe- pe- Peculiar Children. Um I think it's so like, what it's a also, very... also known as Victorian X-Men. Yes, Victorian X-Men. Um it's such a weird like it's a it's a kid movie. Yeah. It's based on a very popular children's novel also. Um it feels so out of left field to me. Yeah. Um it also doesn't look very expensive and that kind of like <laughs> you know brings us to Dumbo. Um which is wild. Yeah. Um I said off the top I kind of understand why he did Dumbo. Again, it's a story about an outcast who like is trying to fit in i went ahead and watched dumbo i knew i knew what i was doing uh-huh. i knew what i was getting into Yep. it's weirdly watching it is one of those things where i'm like what like why what about this other than the circus other than getting to work with michael keaton and danny devito again Yep. um like what is it that that you know why i just kept thinking why it's think like why and like the the thing about the original dumbo is that when dumbo is born and he has big ears like he's outcast amongst the animals yeah but because this movie's more focused on the humans the like dana vito's like ah, he's a freak and it's like you run a circus yeah you run do a you not know that that's what people go to the circus for but also it's like, like you run a circus and Animals don't care how you feel. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, on top of that, the only, the only positive thing I will say, cause I, it's, it's both so bland and so over designed. And also the, the main girl in it, um, who's Thandie Newton's daughter. And I actually thought she was, she's good at giving a performance, but she's basically just running around going like, I like science. And it's like, that's not a personality. Right. That's not like, <laughs> um, but, uh, is the one thing that I think is interesting about it is Michael Keaton's character is the villain in the movie and he's so clearly playing a Walt Disney type Mm. he is um, a man who he wants to buy Dumbo and when he can't purchases the circus for his new theme park Dreamland and Dreamland is so clearly early Disneyland um you know it's got its different sections and everything and I think there's this slight message about large conglomerates buying up everything and commoditizing them monetizing them making them a thing that people want, which is exactly what Disney's been doing for, like, three or four years. Yeah. Buying up Marvel, buying up Star Wars, buying up Fox now. So I thought it was really weirdly subversive that the company that was doing this would make this movie, but also sick and gross that they'd be like, yeah, we don't even fucking yeah. care. We can satire ourselves. Yeah, you're gonna eat it up anyway. Yeah, like Disney doesn't give a fight. Like, All oh, right. you're making. Like, they don't give a fuck. But that's not really about Burton. I just thought that was such a strange thing. Um, it's funny. Like, when was the moment Disney was like, "Wait, he can make money." Yeah, <laughs> when do we want him? Um, was it Alice in Wonderland? Was that the first Disney that was? Moment? I mean, I, I feel mean, like not even. Yeah. No, because Disney released Night Before Christmas. Right. Right. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I think I think it probably Batman. Then probably I know it wasn't them, but they saw this and they're like, "Oh, there's money to be had there." Yeah, they're like, um, "Oh, wait, we know him." Yeah, exactly. We. Oh, do you guys even know him? Like, we pu- like knew him like way before pushing anyone else. Paramount, yeah. Warner Brothers, Columbia out of the way. Like, excuse me, remember us? <laughs> like, oh my God, we're so glad that you took what you learned here. <laughs> exactly, you put it out in the world. We just want you to bring it back. Mm, yes. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that wraps up. You know his professional life. Um, he does have two kids yes, with Palma Helena. Um, they're both so much older than I thought they would be. Because now I feel old. Like they were born in like two thousand three, two thousand seven. Yeah, I'm, yeah. So, so like one's. I mean, they're both over ten. That's too much. <laughs> That's <laughs> far too much. <laughs> That's far too old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. Uh. You know, and I don't know what else to say. That people like. Really fucking like him, and he has. I I think he is a very polarizing figure in terms of a filmmaker. I think you will have staunch defenders and you will have um, detractors regardless. So, but I, I mean, like, weirdly enough, like, there's not much else to say about his personal life. That's all I have to say about The Rewind. We're up to date on all things pretend. Um, so let's get into what? Like, what should we do first? One-star reviews, five-star reviews? Let's get into our one-star review. Let's do it. My pick is 2005's Charlie and the Talks Factory. Um, it's, like, it's a solid pick. I And I will say this noting that I did not see Dark Shadows, but I did rewatch this. I had seen it before. And all I could think of was, wow, this is... All style, no substance. It's, it, you, you know, Tim Burton is known for his style. Um, and when you see, you know, Beetlejuice and Batman and these other movies that are, I'm like, it, everything has meaning. Everything. I, I feel the choices that are, he's being, that he's making are purposeful. They're meant to like make you think, you know, it's for, you know, whether it's Catwoman being sexy or, um, you know, Edward Scissorhands being like, Fragile and broken. This is just candy coated nothing, right? Um, I and 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 it does not help that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the other Raw doll adaptation, um, is such a classic. And and I don't know. Everyone, it's that thing when people are like, "Oh, they're remaking that again." Like, "Oh, it's, can they live up to it?" Like, there truly is nothing to you know improve on. I think. On the original movie, Um, Johnny Depp certainly is not up to task for creating a new take on Willy Wonka. Um, He famously modeled him after Michael Jackson. Yeah, which which is is a fucking choice. Exactly. Um, From the hair to the glasses to the voice, there is one funny bit in this movie, and it's when he talks to Mike TV and he says, Mumbling! (laughs) It is impossible. You don't understand anything about science. First off, there's a difference between waves and particles. Duh. Second, the amount of power it would take to convert energy and matter would be like nine atomic bombs. Mumbler! Seriously. I cannot understand a single word you're saying. Everything else is bad, 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 bad. And that's the thing. Like, there's there's something to be said about making a Charlie in the Chocolate Factory that's more faithful to the book, because famously, Raoul Dahl's family didn't love, and Raoul Dahl himself didn't love the original. He hated the fact that they wrote new songs. You know, he didn't, but, what you're right. The thing about the remake is, regardless of how faithful it is to the book, it's cold, it's sterile, it's so sterile. And it lacks joy. And the original is... So full of heart. Yeah. And so full of life. And, mm-hmm. and the best part of this movie is Freddie Highmore with his grandparents and family. Right. You feel some warmth there. But as soon as you enter the factory, it's almost just like, you know, that thing when you like throw slime against the wall and it's kind of like slides down. Yeah. You know? There's this, it's, it, there's nothing there. Right. Um, it's almost like they, he spent so much time trying to invent and like create this world that he... And then he then they, forgot to populate it. Right. Yeah, like. and, and, and he decides to like, you know, show Willy Wonka going to Oompa Loompa land and like, right. the whole, and I'm like, why, who the fuck cares? Right. The they, backstory of Willy Wonka is not important. Yeah. They're the, all the mystery they, and magic of, yeah. the, of the original where it's fully, um, you know, he, he's just this larger than life character who is complex and layered here. It's like, he has to tell you why, you know, that all these choices were being made about, you know, Oh, the way that this is going to look, the fucking, you got Ro- deep Roy to play all the Oompa Loompas. <sighs> it's just, yeah, I, I know it must've been a difficult, you know, uh, thinking about like, how are we going to do Oompa Loompas? You know, they're famously fucking orange. Right. And, um, the original one and this one, it's this, this like tiny Indian man. Um And, like, copy and pastes of him. And it, what sucks even more is, like, watching I'm like, wow, this looks very expensive. Yeah. You know, they, they do these elaborate set pieces for each Oompa Loompa song. V- very Burton-esque set pieces. But, like, I fucking hate those songs also. Yeah. Every song has a different, like, genre. Yeah. Um, so there's just, like, nothing really cohesive about, you know, what's going on yeah I that movie's a bummer and that's cohesiveness is brings me to my one star review which I'm so sad you didn't get a chance to watch Dark Shadows because I fucking saw it in the theater mm. yeah I was one of those people who really I was a Tim Burton defender for a really long oh time past, past yeah exactly past the point like that, that you it was made it, you made it yeah. thank you so much um, and I remember seeing Alice in Wonderland in the theater and that was the moment where I was like <gasps> oh shit he's not good anymore yeah um, and I think the most illustrative version of that is Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows is a remake of a 1970s soap opera that initially didn't start off with any supernatural elements, but then decided to go supernatural because they were losing viewers after a hundred episodes. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, the movie follows Barnabas Collins, who was turned into a vampire by a witch that he fell in love with. He wakes up in the seventies now and his ancestors live in his home and kooky stuff happens. But the problem is, um, it's not focused in any way, shape or form. Is this movie a horror movie? Is this movie a broad, like a broad comedy? Is this movie like making fun of soap opera tropes? Is it making fun of supernatural stuff? None of, none of it's clear. And I think a lot of that blame falls to Seth Graham Smith's script, but also Tim Burton himself should have been like, this doesn't fucking make any sense. Yeah. There's, um, you know, everybody ends up having their own special thing um in the movie Helena Bonham Carter plays the the psychiatrist that wants to become a vampire as well lives with the family Michelle Pfeiffer's in it you know it's a it's a great cast Chloe Grace Moretz turns into a werewolf at the end of the movie oh because of stuff uh but like it's it's not funny it's not sexy and John uh, Jonathan Jonathan Fried who played Barnabas Collins in the original TV show his character is played by John, uh, Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp is giving his famous like I'm giving a weird performance sculpted entirely of the most exquisite Carrara
1: marble from Firenze Italia each joint containing a single pearl are you stoned or something they tried stoning me, my dear. It did not work.
0: When did they start
1: allowing women of the night on estate ground?
0: When we did Anne Hathaway, we talked about this very famous reputation she has for, for being a quote-unquote theater kid, which is not fair and totally unearned. And Johnny Depp like he has run out of ideas yeah, and, and he's like, to me, he is the theater kid. He's like, well, I'm going to give a performance. And that's, and that's dark shadows to a T it's garbage. It's not worth watching a frame of if you can help it. Yeah. And it's just upsetting because even the stuff that makes Tim Burton interesting, the, the, Johnny Depp's character being a fish out of water, being the weirdo who's trying to fit into modern, into the normalcy of modern times, and then finding out that the normalcy is is even weirder than you would expect it to be. None of it works. Yeah. Uh Johnny Depp's just giving a performance to the raft it's like he's too fucking weird the whole time. And no one else can match that level of weirdness. So it doesn't do you think Johnny Depp thinks, like, acting is a haircut? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's funny, you know, as as I read from that article, he's like, he's very much a Boris Karloff actor, but Boris Karloff knew that if he took off the Frankenstein makeup, he could still play the Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Johnny Depp can't. If you take him out of the Edward Scissorhands makeup, he can't be Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. That's womp womp. the truth. Um, was there anything else you saw that you particularly didn't like? No. I mean, I really hate Alice in Wonderland as well. Yeah, I would say was... the, the only thing is like Alice in Wonderland is look nice. Yeah. I don't, I disagree actually. Really? And I think one of the, one of the things that helped me realize that perhaps Tim Burton had, had sort of run out of steam for me was one of the things I love about his earlier films is they're so tactile, even if they're models or sets, they look oh, real. Yeah. And yeah. I guess in reality, Alice Wonderland Wonder is one, fake as fuck. Uh, it's fake as fuck. It, it's all green screen. And you know, his type of kookiness needs to be able to be felt because if it's not, it's so extreme that your yeah. brain can't comprehend it. And yeah. so seeing a bunch of CG trees that look like Tim Burton's weirdo, uh, stripedness, yeah. like th- they just look like cartoons. Well, it's funny though, because, um, Charlie and the Chocolate factory is very tactile. Absolutely. And it's, <laughs> and it's still hollow. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, Frank and weenie probably didn't need to be made. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. I when I was watching that movie, I was like, "Wow, nothing's happening for a long time." He was stretching out. Well, I also think that that's another thing about Tim Burton is I do feel like when he was younger, he had something to say about growing up in this, you know, bright Mm -hmm. suburbia and feeling like a gothy sort of outcast or feeling like he didn't belong, didn't get along with other people. And I think over time that has gone away because. I mean, everyone is that now. Yeah, everyone is that, and also, you have so much fucking money. Yeah, like you could surround yourself with people who will who will yes you to death. Yeah, it's and hard so- to play the outsider when you're right part of the fucking bourgeois. Absolutely. So I think nothing is more, you know, indicative of that than watching both Frank and Weenie, Frank and Weenie, you have this story, the short film, you have this story about this outcast boy who brings back his only friend in life, yeah. you know, back from the dead and realizing that, you know, maybe that's not the way it should be. And then you have this sort of hollow stop motion animation movie because he just, he's not that boy anymore. Yeah, for sure. Um, I remember, was that the same time that like Paranorman came out? Yeah fucking love Paranorman Paranorman's great and unfortunately though I think that Frank and Weenie like sucked kind of the air of the room yeah. when, when Paranorman came out Paranorman yeah. is the shit yeah I agree I love Paranorman yeah but I'd be hard pressed to, to find a like a movie I didn't like so truly we're never yeah. gonna do that episode because yeah I'd be like all five stars <laughs> yeah truly um speaking of five stars let's get into those picks <laughs> So, my five-star review is 1994's Ed Wood. Ed Wood, as we mentioned before, you know, it's a biopic about, you know, Ed Wood, who was, you know, he's a cult filmmaker who was called the worst filmmaker of all time. I don't think that's fair. Once again. Um, and it's... Not it's, when Steven Spielberg is right there. <laughs> Kick him while he's down. <laughs> who wants another Ready Player One? Ed Wood never gave us that. Oh, well. um, but That's all, uh, that's all I'm going to say. The... You know, it's based off a book called Nightmare of Ecstasy, um, and it's written by Scott Alexander and and Larry Kazuski, who most recently did uh, People vs. O.J. No way. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, which is why that's actually a good season of television involved with Ryan Murphy, because he didn't write it. Um, Take that. And it's about this filmmaker, this very impassioned guy who surrounds himself with a group of lovable misfits who, yeah. who really want him to succeed in his dream even if they know he's kind of a con man. He's kind of, you know, uh, at the same time he's going through um, personal stuff where he loves dressing up in women's clothing. Specifically Angora Sweaters. Angora Sweaters. And it's this really sweet, I mean, it is this really sweet story about this guy who's full of passion. Yeah. um, Who's not necessarily successful at putting that passion out there, but believes the stuff that he's doing is matches that, that fantasy that he has. Yeah. And the people that surround him that love him for it. And he is a bit of a con man. He is uh, a you know, more of a dreamer than a doer, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. There's something really sweet. And I think surprisingly Johnny Depp's performance is touching and, yeah, It's showy. He's always going to be a showy actor. Um, but it's showy in the right way. His community was not based on money. Right. It wasn't... It was... Share, they were all shared. Even if, like, you know, Vampiro was, like, not, like... You know, oh, this guy is super fucking cool. But she, in her head, she's like, oh, he gets it, though. He gets the love for our community right. and our people. They all kind of knew that they were working in B-schlock, that they were never going to be the hottest people, the most successful people. But they wanted to put their passion for horror um, and theater, uh, you know, and showbiz out for people to to consume. They're not using each other to, like, get somewhere. They're, you really feel that like they're all in it together. I've said this before, maybe not on the show, but I think the message about finding your family, yeah. you know, finding the people where you fit in, the people who understand you and trust you, uh, is such a good, important message. Uh, and it's not always an easy one to put out in this on the screen. And I think, you know, I also think Tim Burton looks at Ed Wood... And sees himself, he's obviously a much more successful director, yeah. and better at like, putting his ideas out there and getting them across, getting other people to execute them. But he also does have this sort of relationship with people where, you know, he's worked with Colleen Atwood, who does all of his costumes for years and years. He works with Danny Elfman. He's good at finding family members yeah. who trust him. And know that he has their best interest at heart, and it's not necessarily about his own success. The parallels between him and his relationship with Vincent Price. Yeah. And Ed Wood and his relationship with Bella Lugosi. Which, once again, highly fictionalized. Gonna put that out there. Are they, like, were they not, like, friends? Uh, Bella Lugosi's wife and son were not in the movie were mm-hmm. alive during that period mm. she believed um ed wood the real ed wood was much more of a con man and was basically only using using, uh, using bella to increase his star power and they didn't really hang out outside of he didn't hang out with him in I rehab know. <laughs> i know they didn't watch dracula together on halloween and scare a bunch of children like yeah did he actually get like that last footage of him like, yes, that is true. That is and he did replace him with a dentist. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I yeah, did see the, uh, which also is my ends with my favorite line of the movie, which is uh Bill Murray playing bunny, and <sighs> when the dentist is introduced and he's like I want to suck your blood. I want to suck your blood.
1: Let's hear you call Boris Karloff a cocksucker. <clears throat> Shh. We want these Baptists to like us.
0: Bill Murray is yeah, Perfection, so good. Perfection in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, I mean, there, it made me think, man, like, he, Edward calls himself a transvestite. Yeah. You know, this was before, like, like, the language knew what it was. Yeah. But he's like, I, he's like, no, I'm not gay. I'm just a transvestite. He likes dressing up as a woman. And one of his good friends is Bill Murray, who was this, like, he, he was part of the the gay community. Yeah. He knew all these, like, other transvestites. Oh, bunny. He wanted to go to Mexico to get a sex change. Like, I was like, oh, this the truly refreshing future liberals want. Right. Like, right. And this was 96 too. So to think about, like, I mean, obviously their time period is much earlier. Yeah. But the, to even talk about this in a Hollywood film movie, financially, disaster. Yeah. But critically, a huge success. Um, and yeah, I just love this movie with all my heart. It's, it's, got a lot of heart in it as well. Um, You mentioned Sarah Jessica Parker's in it, but also Patricia Arquette's in it. And she's really great. And actually she has one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is they go to this really elaborate haunted house. And that's one. I know. That scene to me is the height of what Tim Burton can do because it is both a really emotional, very sweet scene, but so overproduced (laughs) because it's a ridiculous haunted house. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we're stuck.
1: Kathy, I'm about to tell you something that I never told any girl on a first date. But I think it's important that you know, I like to wear women's clothes. Huh? Mm-hmm. I like to wear women's clothes. Panties, brasiers, sweaters, pumps. It's just something I do. And I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I really like you. and I don't want it getting in the way down the road. Does this mean? You don't like sex with girls? No, I love sex with girls.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. A, pick. A, Good pick, Gavin. all five
0: stars for me. All five of them? All five. Um, my pick is 1990's Edward Scissorhands. Fuck yeah, it is. Yeah. I love Edward Scissorhands. I rewatched it for the first time in a long time, and I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, watching Edward Scissorhands as a child is a very special thing. Watching it as an adult is a, also a special thing, but in a totally different way. I was just like, fuck, this movie is so beautiful. Every scene is this gorgeous. The scene where Dying Weest, um, discovers yeah. Edward in the attic and, I, and she's wearing her pink little power suit, she's selling her Avon with her perfectly little coiffed hair. And she's so good in the movie. And she, she really sees Edward huddled in the corner and the shot is just gorgeous. The, it's all blue. The attic's blue. Yeah. She's popping up on this pink and he's in shadows and you don't even see anything yet. You just see like this crumpled mass of something shaking and It's so scary and creepy, but the release when he steps out into the light and she almost immediately is just like wanting to mother him and Johnny Depp is so vulnerable Um, as Edward. I was just like, God, I'm like, oh, this is cinema Edward Hands is a movie, it's framed by a woman telling a story to a little girl about why it snows and where snow comes from. And they're set in a world where everything is pastel, all the wives gossip to one each other, um, and this one woman who kind of is like an outsider in her her own right, you know, all the other wives kind of talk shit about her, don't want to buy her fucking Avon, um, her husband is a bowling champion. Her daughter is Winona rider. <laughs> um, and she's selling Avon and goes up to this, this is big, like, um, mansion on a hill where an inventor used to work. And she discovers Edward Scissorhands hands there. And he is, um, the inventor's last invention who did not finish him. Right. Um, he did not get to finish him before he died. So he has full scissors for hands. And, uh, Yeah, just like a beautiful story about an outsider. And, um, God, I mean, what the ending of this movie is so satisfying. Uh, you know, I don't even know, like, how much more to talk about this movie, but like, he, at every moment, I was scared, like, oh my God, he's going to cut someone on accident or it's going to get bad. And it never, like, gets there. Everyone at first treats him like he's the hot new guy. Um, We love him so much, la la la.
1: Listen, don't you ever let anybody tell you you have a handicap. Who's handicapped? My goodness. (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. You're not handicapped. You're, what do they call that? Exceptional. (laughs) My name's Joyce, and I noticed that you have not tasted
0: any of the ambrosia salad that I made especially for you. Allow me.
1: Mm. Mm. You must try this. It's my oh, you guys tried my most famous dish. You remember? My
0: green thumb, like yours. I sure could use your help at my place. Me too. There you go. I, sure you go. I, I want a row oh, so Sorry, ladies, but he's promised to come to my house first. One more. Haven't you, Eddie? They eventually turn on him. Um, one woman who like fully wants to fuck him, um, and he denies her. She starts shitting all over him. Yeah. Rumors. Um, the, the, the whole town revolts against him. Um, and it becomes like an old monster movie at that point. Yeah. Right? There's a gorgeous scene where he's making an ice sculpture and Winona Ryder. That's when Winona Ryder is like, Oh my God, this is a beautiful man. And right. he's, um, he can create beauty out of the horrors of himself. Um, and, yeah, it's just... I, I think, I genuinely think, outside of Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands, it's weird that they're both Ed, is Tim Burton's other most personal project. I think he grew up in a very similar place to that pink pastel suburbia. He felt like an outcast. I mean, Johnny Depp physically looks like Tim Burton in that movie, yeah. with the wild hair everywhere, and, you know, and I think that, you know, it's it's it comes across... It's very much the sort of like, this is the love that he wants in the world, that he is a deeper soul than he is just this outside appearance. Yeah. And, and again, the score is gorgeous, yeah, gentle, it's best work. just like uh, uplifting, full of spirit and life. That movie is incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, the complete opposite from Charlie, because this movie is, style and substance. Right. Like, everything is just, like, oozing with, uh, personal affection and, and love. And funny in, even in the smallest of ways. Where Charlie and Chocolate Factory is just, like, full of nothing. This movie is just full of love and affection and, God, an excellent, excellent movie. If you ever, like, are bored and want to rewatch, that's a movie that you can, you should definitely go to. The, um, was there anything else that you loved? Uh, I mean, I, 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 mean, I would nominate the entire first half of his career if I could. Uh I really love the first Batman. I obviously Batman Returns is one of my favorite movies. I watch it every Christmas yeah. um without fail. Yeah. I've watched it every Christmas for like my 35 years on this earth. That's not true. It came out when I was 9. <laughs> but uh, but the but you know the sentiments there. Beetlejuice um, is incredible. Beetlejuice is so fucking funny. I saw the other day somebody posted something they were like, is Beetlejuice a good movie or is it just a good for Tim Burton movie? And I was like, no, 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 it's a good movie. Um, I, I'm in the minority that loves Mars Attacks. I just think it's so zany and so weird and ambitious. I I recently rewatched it before this randomly. It's fucking weird. I don't know if you need to rewatch it. it It's definitely a movie that like is played at bars, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah, I get that. Um, I have a a very and I've, I talked about it on the Ewan McGregor episode I think uh very personal connection to Big, Big Fish. Fish. I love it. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea uh but it it strikes me very personally and and I love that. Yeah, I mean uh, I think uh, it, like we mentioned Pee-wee's Big Adventure is still yeah. immensely rewatchable. Also a movie that just could be playing at a bar. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and absolutely. Uh so yeah, I mean that I think Tim Burton's a very really good uh topic because he has such a clear like he has movies that are beloved right movies that are just like awful um and he has this arc of a career that's fully like started like he was the outcast misfit character was right. able to show his vision and he and it's just like diminishing returns right um And uh, you either either die a hero or you live long enough to become Tim Burton. Truly. Truly. Before we get into our fast forward, why don't we do our mixed reviews review? Yes. Uh, My one-star review went to the 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And my one-star review went to 2012's Dark Shadows. My five-star review went to 1990's Edward Scissorhands. And my five-star review went to 1994's Wood. Oh, we both picked, like, early movies for five stars and... (laughs) recent movies for one star is weird (laughs) weird Uh, but yeah so let's get into our fast forward i think the best thing that tim burton um can give to the anyone watching movies is is just his legacy yeah like the best thing he did what like he not to say that he that his life is over but like i think he you know Take whatever checks he can. Fine, but like, I feel good knowing that he has inspired a generation of artists. Yeah. Um, like the studios, like we said, would not be here without him. Um, and changed Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. and I definitely, definitely think he's pushed a lot of mainstream, more mainstream studios to be weirder, to yeah. accept something weirder. You know, he said in one interview, you yeah, know, you spend your your life, you know feeling like a a creature
1: and trying to become a human being, and then they try to turn you back into some kind of weird creature again. Because, I mean, I don't know what I do. So I always get very alarmed when people go, oh, this is what you do. Because, you know, if yes, people really know me, they know I don't know what I'm doing, sort of, you know. (laughs) So it's not something that I like to think of myself in the third person, you know, like as a a thing or this is the kind, you know, I I do this as a a style. I mean, I don't really think about a, a style. It's hard for me to, to change who I am, you know, uh, you know, if if I, you know, I've been trying to do dramas for years, but people perceive them as bad comedies, you know, so, (laughs) you know, or vice versa. So it's kind of like, you know, it's just a, it's just the only way I can sort of do things.
0: And I think that's very indicative. I think he wants to make these more big eyes esque movies and people are like make Dumbo. (laughs) And he's like, okay. Um, so I, I mean, I think there is something to be said about the way that he is pigeonholed and, and put into a certain, It's you know, but I also, I don't think he fights that hard to be right, no. outside of it. It's weird because like, when you think about Guillermo del Toro, like, right. he, you can tell that he has not lost his passion for right. telling these monster stories. For I think t- that's why he makes so few movies. Yeah. Tim Burton, though, I feel like he, I don't sense any passion from him left. Right. I don't sense that he's like pouring his heart... Into these movies I don't know if he has anything else to say And that's where And that's sort of where I am I feel like I'm in the same place That I was Sort of when we did our Jim Carrey episode And I know you disagreed But like Do I need to see anything else from Tim Burton? No Would I like to see something else If it is better from Tim Burton? Yes Yeah I'm I'm interested If he wants to bring it to the plate but if it's gonna be the same thing, I don't want to keep but, watching. I don't know. I hate ending an episode on on such a, a dour note. He's he clearly. I mean, he has more money than I'll ever see. He has more money than you'll ever see. Like, I mean, I don't know where your life plan is, honestly. But um, you don't know my bank account. <laughs> but uh, but I. It is one of those things where, like, yeah, I don't know. Wh- this is the one of the few times I feel stumped. I don't have something. Positive to say going forward, I and I don't want to, I don't want to say something negative either. I, I just, wonder if he like this needs to like maybe retreat from movies for a minute, right? Maybe it's like do a, like a weird Netflix show, but who knows? I mean, at least it would like shake it up, be a little different. Yeah, um, because clearly something is not working. Like yeah. there is a missing puzzle piece. Um, he's no longer with Helena Bonham Carter. No. Um, he has two kids. I mean, he, he's also maybe he's just like fuck it. Who cares? Right. That's the I sense. Right? That's what I sense now. That's what it does feel like. So there's been news on Beetlejuice too, which is essentially it's not happening. Tim Burton says like they they don't have a script and they're not interested in making a movie that's not um, up to par. And you know there's been many many rumors over the years. Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian and they decided not to do that. There is a script for that. Um, but yeah, so like it sounds like that's maybe not happening and maybe that's for the best because I don't know if the now Tim Burton could make the decisions that made Beetlejuice good. Yeah. You know, sad. It is sad. It, it bums me out because I do, you know, to end on, to end on a higher note, I think you're correct. I think he's inspired a lot of talent and he's, he's a very interesting guy in terms of, um, letting that personal uh, vision carry forth uh, into his films and, and sort of infect every part of it. Uh, I do, I did read in an interview where he said, you know, people asked him about um, the Academy Awards Mm -hmm. um, for the couple of films that he's gotten nominated at Wood for makeup. And, and he said, when I was growing up, I never, I never gravitated towards the films that won awards. You know, I, like X, the man with X-ray eyes were the things that I liked or, um, Dracula 1972 AD. Like those are the films I, I liked. So to me, the Academy Awards aren't the achievement they are to everybody else. Um, and so in the end, maybe his legacy is the reward that he needs. Yeah. I can't, I mean, it would be great if the, Academy did honor him in some way and I'm yeah. sure like someday I'm on the- sure he'll get an honorary someday yeah I mean yeah. he's got a couple like makeup costume things I, yeah I think Alice in Wonderland has two Oscars yeah I know no accounting for taste um, but on that note, I think that wraps up our discussion about Tim Burton. That was a good Ho- episode. Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed that episode and you don't hate us too much afterwards. Um... Oh, people hate us. I don't know. People? We're great. Yeah, that's true. I mean, mostly me, but yeah, that's also true. <laughs> is it the smell? Uh... But you can find us online on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. Uh, you can email us at ReviewsMixed at gmail.com. And you can listen to us all sorts of places. Oh, everywhere. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. Uh, Google Play Music and iHeartRadio Music and just a bunch of websites. Just Google us. Yeah, you'll find us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, feel free to leave us a five-star review and a nice little love note. We love that. Yeah. We can't write you back, but we'll read it on the show. Um, Anything else? I think we're all good. Make sure and and, um, find our Twitter poll coming in a week-ish. Um and vote for what you think should be the best Tim Burton movie. Yeah, on Twitterverse on the Twitterverse. Uh, thank you so much for listening this week, and we'll be back in two weeks with another mixed review. Thanks, guys. Bye.